Welcome to the Agile Gorilla podcast. The Agile Gorilla is a collective group of experienced M&A and post-merger integration professionals located in Europe, the UK, the US, and in Asia. We know each other professionally and personally, in fact, worked on many deals together. Uh, for more information on the individuals that you're hearing from, please go to our website. In today's podcast, the usual suspects from the Agile Gorilla Collective are joined by David Cox. He talks to us about customer experience, how everyone in the organization is responsible, not just sales and marketing functions, the challenges of getting an external focus when you go through a deal, and how everything you do in customer experience needs to be measurable and measured. Today, we're, we're really excited to have David Cox on our podcast. Um, David and I have got, in fact, the two Davids and I have got a very long history together in working on various projects in the past. Uh, and we thought we'd get David Cox to come along and talk a bit about um, the world of customer experience in the context of transformation and M&A. Probably the best place to start, David, is just to give us a bit of an intro in terms of how you got into this world, because I know that's not your original background. How did you end up in the in the world of customer experience? Absolutely not. No, my uh, thank you for, for for having me on the on the show with you guys. Um, yeah, my my uh, my uh, my origins as a chartered accountant, believe it or not, that was uh, way back in in prehistory, last century. Um, and I think you know, just to to kind of give a little bit of background of, of where my customer experience um, kind of journey started. It actually, I was working with um, uh, an organization in uh, in Spain, in Madrid, um, which is actually where we all where we all got together, um, which was, um, it was a telecoms company. Um, where I joined that company as a startup. Um, and, you know, um, the the organization was, was, you know, trying to break the, the monopoly of Telefonica and um, create competition in the telecom space in Madrid, in Spain, um, and you know, as an organisation, we went through the classic, the classic cycle. So, startup, all focused on acquisition. You know, roll them in, roll them in, get them through the door, grow as fast as we can. Um, then, you know, reality started to bite. Um, focus on on cost cutting, you know, try and trim efficiency and so on. And then we got to that point, as all organisations do where we realized we had to grow up, you know, we had to grow up and stop just acquiring customers and then um, letting them go at the back end and, you know, the hamster, the classic hamster wheel. Um, and we really needed to focus on actually retaining our customers. And that was, my job was really to figure out how to take an organization that was, you know, that had a particular bent, a particular focus on, you know, as I say, on the commercial acquisition and turn it into an organization that actually thought about customers um and thought about um holding on to customers um and that you know that was the the origins of my my um my love affair i suppose with with customer experience because that was where i had to understand what was really truly involved in in doing that and i remember um in actual fact the uh, the analogy that we used um, back then and it's it's one that stayed with me uh, over the last sort of 15 years or so is that you know this was really a case of you know, as an organization, we were we were doing the equivalent of kind of going out on the town and um, trying to acquire customers. It didn't really matter what we said, so long as we got them in. 
Um, and this was then moving into a world where we had to start to have a grown-up relationship with our customers, like you know, like a like a married couple kind of thing. Um, and that was the the start of that journey into into really understanding what it takes to transition an organisation into into that kind of that kind of culture. Um, we did that, uh, you know, um, and we went through that transition with um, with this company with with Honor as it, um, in Spain, and then you know from there onwards and this is you know as i said the the kind of early noughties time frame since then i've been working with organizations right the way across the world going through that exact same um transition not always from startup to um to, to grown up but always with this um you know having to make the transition into not just talking about you know caring about customers and you know flag waving around customer centricity but actually making that a practical reality um, so that's really been my specialist subject is the kind of how to of, you know, really transitioning the focus and strategy of an organization to being, you know, to genuinely trying to make that connection um, with with customers um, and, you know, um, to make it a positive uh, and and genuine um, connection with customers. So that's that's really what I've been doing for, for the last 15 years or so. Um, you know, since prior grey hair and all that stuff. So before I pass it on to my learned colleagues, I feel like I'm in a law court. Um, um, I had one question for you. Something that, that David Boyd and I observe a lot in M&A is that um, it is often the moment, and probably that's the reason why there is so much value destruction, when the focus on customers is, is at the least, if you like. It becomes a very mm. internally focused exercise, M&A does. Um, uh, and indeed, transformation of any kind um, is one where people tend to get slightly navel-gazing in the way that they're, either because they're worried about their jobs or because there are other distractions, there are, you know, there's, there's some shuffling of the pack in terms of leadership structure and all that good stuff. So do you think there's a connection? I mean, I'm, I know that you get brought in quite a lot, lot in sort of transformation process. Is that a sort of preemptive thing where where a CEO might recognise we're going to have a problem here if we don't keep our eye on the ball? Or is it a remedial thing where it's already gone a bit wrong and actually we need someone else, else to sort of help us refocus that? Where does, where does your engagement start in that, in that process? Um, well, I, t- I mean, I, in actual fact, typically it starts with uh, on the back of, of work from, you know, um, the McKinsey's of the world. So, right. you know, it, it, it typically starts with an organization that is kind of rethinking its strategy. Um, it's, it's usually it usually starts with that with that, you know, when when an organization is reaching the end of a cycle, particularly. I think that's the that's the classic point. Um, as I say, with Honor, it was the case it was reaching the end of the acquisition cycle. But, you know, often companies kind of stagnate um, and they need to revitalize. Um, and that usually is the trigger point. And that, you know, revitalization often from a from an organizational point of view includes something to do with customer. That's often the way organizations see it. You know, we, we kind of know intuitively you have to be good to customers and, you know, happy customers you know, stay longer and spend more and all that good stuff. So, you know, we ought to put something around customer centricity in our strategy kind of thing. Um, let's find someone who knows how to do it. That That's usually the start point. Um, the reality is far more fundamental than that. The reality is is that, you know, the, the, this idea of putting the customer at the center is not just an adjunct. It's not, it's not just a thing that you do on top of. It becomes the galvanizing force of everything. It becomes the foundation for everything. You know, you... you your your start point for rebuilding or transitioning the organization starts from that foundation not for you know being nice to customers but starts from the foundation of what customers actually what actually matters to your customers 
Um, not what you know again, not what they want, but what matters to them, and that that then becomes the the as I say the the unifying and galvanizing galvanizing force for the transition into into a kind of new era for for an organization. Perfect, Ave. Hi, David. Nice meeting you. I guess you. one question I have is, it seems to me, based on Ben's question and your answer, that the earlier the better in a merger process or an acquisition thinking about the customer experience and the customer reaction to a transaction is something that you ought to start earlier. One question is, how often does that actually ever happen? How, how often have you been brought in before the merger has been signed, consummated, negotiated uh, versus after, which based on your reaction, it seems like you get brought in once somebody thinks about this um, and it's almost not e either not remedial, but at least reactive. And yes, absolutely. See if you've seen examples of people doing it right and what differentiates them and whether it's worked out better. I mean, I, I wish I could say I had seen examples of doing it um, from the beginning. I think, you know, if, if you think about this from a from a very logical perspective, you know, if you're if you're in a if you're in a, a merger situation, you know, clearly the. Uh, the main goal of that is to create unification is to create you know um you, to bring everything together with with a, with a with a common purpose and you know uniting uniting two organizations coming together around um you know around what matters to customers around the that that purpose of delivery um and connection to customers would be the logically correct way of, of doing things. I, I'll be honest with you. I personally haven't seen it. Um, I've never seen. I've never seen that happen. And I think it's, as I say, it, it tends to be a more reactionary thing. And you know, often, as I said before, it's often driven by stagnation. Um, so I, you know, from a from a uh, M and A point of view, you know, you take the two organisations, you crash them together. You kind of kind of works, but then now what? You know, now we're now it's. It's it's there, but we're not really getting you know getting really where we we're trying to the you know the kind of vision that we're trying to get to. So that's when that tends to be when uh, it comes in as a as I say as a as a kickstarter almost for um, to 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 compensate for that kind of stagnation feeling you often get in organisations. Oh, ah, um, yeah, I think it's it's quite normal or to be expected that you wouldn't see this um, sort of improvement or set or even avoid a, a dip in, in the level of the customer relationship in, in uh, post-acquisition integrations, because beyond the, the worry and the sort of you know, navel gazing that happens um, with their internal, you know, internal focus uh, that, that, uh, that automatically occurs during these integrations, I think that until you get one face to the customer, uh, it's very confusing for customers because they would expect things to be the same whether I speak to A or B, but it's not. Uh, and some things will be shifted between the two. So getting to one face of the customer is actually a sort of, you know, it's one of the targets, but it's certainly, it can't be the starting point because there's so much work to be done. You could do some of that, I suppose, in advance with, with limits before before closing, uh, but it's it's a big, big job. And um, so I think that what needs to be in, in, in the you know, foreground of people's minds is that um, there will be a dip and it's more... You know, how do we catch up that dip uh, as fast as possible? How do we excel? How do we go beyond being good? Um, because for the first, you know, months, I would think uh, it's going to be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I and I think also that um, that um, 
you know, you're absolutely right that, you know, uh, whilst as soon as you become internally focused, I mean, that's, you know, that this that the name of the game in customer experience is, is actually to turn an organization from being internally focused, focused on their spreadsheets, their numbers, <laughs> you know, controlling, controlling ARPUs and all that kind of stuff through to actually being, you know, outside in focused. Um, so, you know, as an organization, as two organizations come together, there's a natural tendency to be in, internally focused, but also at the same time, a massive opportunity um, to uh, to create the new, based on you know injecting that 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 concept of of you know what we stand for for customers, what what do we really mean for customers, and how does that translate into an internal culture that aligns with that? You know, to create to create the new, driven by by the customer, and you know to almost i know i know this might be a little bit um uh, maybe even preachy but you know one would have to question whether you know that the ideal world is that you know the merger itself um is driven by a is it happens as a result of a customer driven why so why are we bringing these two organizations together for the customer what does it bring to the customer it should be you know, in a in a true customer centric world, should be the the actual rationale beyond you know beyond the the usual you know cost efficiencies and all that good stuff. But there should actually be a customer rationale for bringing the the, the organisation together in the first place. Um, the driving why, if you see what I mean. David Boyd, one of the things I I, I suppose I love the idea of um, bringing the customer to the centre. It's not something separate; it's right at the core. And it's the same we see in M and A where culture isn't something you do as a separate work stream it's culture affects everything you do and how you do it mm. um one of the things i've always seen as a challenge uh, particularly in the b2b space is when um actually who owns the customer relationship and who is seen as having the customer insight and it's that challenge between the sales function and the marketing function and then suddenly you've got two mm. sales functions and two marketing functions and they, they both have a different split of who actually owns it is there a right way to do this, a wrong way to do this, or how do you deal with that conflict between functions? So, I mean, that they, yeah, that's a really, really good question, and I think um, you know the essence of of what this kind of transition, this transformation, actually looks like, um, touches on a lot of these points. So, we're talking about trying to create a a relationship with our customer, okay, um, and that is not owned by any you know any one part of the organization everything every every part of what of uh, you know if we think a few things every every action that we take has an impact on our partner you know on our on our on our spouse or whatever um and that you know that is both the explicit um uh, outgoing stuff and also the kind of you know the thoughts that we keep to ourselves all <laughs> they all they all transition you know they're all they're all visible to our partners so the first thing that we need to do as a as an organization is is to listen again this sounds like marriage guidance therapy but you know there's a good analogy here you need to listen um and understand what it is that you're doing that annoys your customers you know that, that pisses them off you know if i finally if the fact that i leave my wet towel on the floor is driving my partner mad i need to know that so i can stop doing it um and that again that's the the start point is is less about who owns the customer and therefore who's driving the relationship and who's in charge and all this kind of stuff and becomes a little bit more listening focused about, you know, what are we doing? How does it feel for, for the other side? How does it feel for our customers? What are we doing that's annoying them? You know, that's the that's the start point always of this journey. And that starts to transition the mindset away from this idea of, you know, which part of the organization owns it towards we all own it, everything we do, and we're all annoying our 
customers one way or another. And you, know, you start to to gain that idea of of the slightly more passive listening, um, which obviously then trans translates into action. Once you've cleaned up your act, you stop leaving your wet towels on the floor. Then you know, then you can start to build a a character, a personality that is going to make you, you know, that is going to make that, that, that relationship positive, that is going to make the, your customers fall in love with you. It's, it's a, you know, you're trying to create a unifying, as I say, person, set of values and personality that is appealing, that, that, that gets to the customer in the heart. You know, it's not, it's not just about, you know, delivering um, functionally, you know, frictionless service, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's about, it's about, you know, getting in the heart and that, you know, as I say, is is about you know there's there's a there's a kind of insight piece of really listening to what matters to our customers, not what they want, but what matters. You know, what's the you know want the you know you want to avoid the kind of faster horse thing, um, and you want to get to the root of of what's going to make that emotional connection. Codify it, make it clear what you know what what matters to customers. Therefore, what it is that um, our personality as an organisation will stand for. That then shapes everything, everything, not just, you know, the not the individual departments, but everything that we do gets shaped around that concept of the personality. We, you know, if we stand for yeah, being respectful, might, for example. Yeah. Just to jump in there, we might, we might, we might, that's a really good um place perhaps for you to talk a bit about um Nextel. Because I think to some extent that mm -hmm. the that that mission and vision that you drew up there, uh, it would be good to get a sense of that. And the reason why I'm quite interested in that is because it there's two things in my head. One is, I think all five of us probably have worked in a situation where we've sort of sat with a client and said, oh, no, we're working on the culture of this for this integration team because, you know, that we need the integration team to work effectively together, knowing full well that actually the impact of that on the wider organisation was going to be absolutely massive. If you like, the vanguard of that process was sat within the integration team. If we get the integration team working together effectively from a cultural and ways of working perspective, that would have a huge impact everywhere else. And I get a mm -hmm. sense that sometimes some of the stuff that you do has a similar sort of uh, impact on a wider organisation. And that's where you get excited. That's certainly where I get excited. But mm -hmm. talk to us, give us, give us a, a quick uh, analysis of, of Nextel. I'd love, you know, some of the numbers are amazing. Um, um, but just give us a sense of how that happened and what you did there. So, okay, so Nextel um, was a mobile operator down in Brazil. I was working with um, about three or four years ago. Um, when when we started work with Nextel, it was um, months away from, from game over. They were running out of money. They were in the classic death spiral of um, money running out. So you cut costs. As you cut costs, the um, uh, level of service goes down and you start hemorrhaging customers and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so that was the that was the background um, that we were, we were working under, and you know, to cut a to cut a to jump to the end of the story. Within two years, we took that organisation, and by the end of it, it was the fastest growing um, telecoms operator in Brazil. You know, the, we 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 genuinely executed a complete turnaround of the organisation. Um, and we did that, and that you know, this was a classic example of that uh, transition being led by the customer. So being led by actually delivering true value to the customer as the the central axis of of the transformation, the central axis of of transitioning from from death spiral to to growth. Um, so we didn't, you know, we didn't do the classic kind of kind of cost cutting first, and then then we'll think about then we'll think about. Um, uh, Growing the top line, we did the both under one, and the core 
um, essence of that was um, was first of all actually we completely switched the um, the uh, target market for the for the organization there was a bit of a mix of you know some heritage around it was a kind of premium brand but then it wasn't anymore and you know we took the the view very early on to target the lower end of the the, the base of the pyramid um what we what we euphemistically called the hard-working hero everyday heroes um which basically you know your 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 bnc class um uh um people in and this is in sao paulo and rio who you know these are people who had a very very tough life um and had been uh, kind of slightly marginalized by society nobody get nobody cared about them you know they just had to struggle through life so um we focus very much on on those people and we uh created or we we fixed on um a purpose to create opportunity for that segment of the the population so our focus shifted from being a telecoms provider selling selling you know data plans and stuff to being an organization that was trying to help those uh, uh help those people in their in their daily lives um but what that did was to not only um, to obviously create a, um, a focus for um, for you know our products and services. We started to you know offer people discounts on in, um, learning English and getting their CV done and all this kind of stuff, which was in tune with that. But also um, acted as a as a positive galvanizing galvanizing force for the people internally. The cult, you know the. The, the people because you know we're an organization that was as I say going through this rapid transition we had to let a lot of people go we had to let about 30 percent of our people go so we needed to create that positive sense that we were you know we were here for something we were doing you know we're doing good in the world um and you know that brings people together into that into that um into that purpose um and as I say, you know, we did all of the stuff of cleaning our house up. We we radically simplified everything we did. We made life as easy as we possibly could for for customers, um, and and then started to build this, you know, this this connection with customers in their daily lives. We went out into our stores in, you know, in the um, in the slums in in Sao Paulo and offered them for um, to um, to do graffiti lessons at the weekend for, for locals you know it was it was this idea that we were embedded in the community part of the community um and as i say that um you know that that we became as a, the the fastest growing um telco in, in brazil without marketing spend and we didn't have the money for marketing spend so we did that without without just buying without buying customers um customers were coming to us um Again, I could I could talk about Nextel for for hours and hours, but I think that's the the basic summary. Well, I'm just I'm just going to say one thing about David Cox to spare him his blushes. It, what's really interesting about you is that you come from your CFO background. Um, measurement is at the core of everything that you do. In fact, it's interesting you haven't talked about it at all in this in this conversation because it feels like a sort of classic sort of soft and fluffy conversation but i know yeah. that everything mm. you do is measured I, and one of the things that, that came out of the nextel um conversation that we've had in the past was that your uh, not just in your nps but your enps went from sort of minus 30 to plus 30 exactly. at the same time that you were losing a third of your workforce which i have never ever ever seen done in my life that is totally remarkable mm -hmm. uh, that that you were able to achieve that what sort of other things were you measuring in this in this process for, for from a from that sort of getting that real sense of purpose around your customers 
So, I mean, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and um, in actual fact, the measurement, um, I mean, I am, you know, I am, I am slightly obsessed with measurements, you're absolutely right. Um, but also because um, what one of the things that one of the tricks of the trade that I've learned, uh, learned very early on is that unless you translate, as I say, the, you know, the fl this fluffy aspect that we've been talking about uh, up until now, unless you translate that into the sort of language that an organization can can get behind. In other words, you turn it into numbers, you turn it into into reports, into numbers, into into KPIs that you measure. You're never getting it. It, it is just an exercise of flag waving. So, you know, typically, and again, this comes back to um, at, at the start point, back to this idea of cleaning a house up. So typically what we're what we're essentially doing from a measurement point of view is um, looking at the customer journey. So very simply, you know, joining, paying, using them, using the phone, etc. And just, you know, really stripping away all of the all of the complexity around measurement and honing in on one simple uh, KPI, which is as customers go through that journey, what percentage of them are not happy? OK, um, because what that what that does and, you know, this is this is this is one of my um, one of my kind of patent <laughs> um, approaches. What that does is it a it gives you a focus, which is which is clear, simple and understandable and a focus which hopefully is uncomfortable. You know, when we were looking in Nextel, you know, we when you know, we're thinking about customers using their phone and we find that, you know, it was close on 40 percent of them are not happy. You know, that that creates a degree of, you know, that that should feel very, very uncomfortable. Um, and that, bit, you know, those those KPIs around what percentage of customers are not happy as they go through the journey become your absolute core metric. And, you know, the obviously the next question is, why not? What are you know, what, why are they not happy? You break it down very simply into into the big pain points. And that then becomes the the driver for the organization to make change. And they, you know, the what we're trying to do is to get the organization to naturally fix those things. You know, you, you don't have to push them to be, you know, it's not this is not this idea of pushing them to be customer centric. You know, if you if you know that 23% of your customers are pissed off because they didn't get the bill last month, you know, you know you've got to fix that. Um, and that, you know, that becomes very straightforward, very simple, but it does immediately mean that your your organization is embracing the idea of listening to customers and, and acting on it in a very um, familiar way. Um, in the same way you manage churn, same way you manage costs. It's, it's that kind of idea. Albert. David, I, I guess one, just a follow-up using the Nextel example. It seems to me that the focus or the degree to which the customer experience is the focus of a transformation effort, depends on who's leading the transformation. So I can imagine that, you know, if it's finance driven, their first go-to won't be to go to the customer experience as a means of transforming the organization and likewise. And so could you talk about sort of connecting what's motivating the customer experience transformation to the people who are driving it? I mean, what's the mm -hmm. team? And it goes without saying that it has to be CEO led and so forth. Yeah, I, I guess who the CEO pulls into the team um, matters. And if you could talk about what what the best practices there are, um, because I can, you know, superficially, I would think, well, you know, the marketing person or the marketing mm -hmm. head is probably the person who's going to be most focused on the customer experience. But that's not always the case. And I'd be curious to it's think not, about no. how people's backgrounds and functions 
matter in the quality of this type of transformation? So I think yes, there's lots of um, important questions in there. I think the first point is that you're absolutely right. You know, it does depend on whether the CEO kind of um, is of the mindset of, yeah, you know, we kind of know that customers are important. We ought to be nice to them. You know, we'll, we'll kind of play it <laughs> at being nice to customers versus, and this was the case in Nextel versus uh, a CEO who's, who's, you know, he's got it in his bones that, that's the route, you know. The route is to is to really give customers what matters to them. That's that's the way you're going to succeed, you know. You know that that kind of that burning uh, knowledge deep down, and that was what the case that we had in Nextel. Then, from there on, you know, the, and we're going back to this measurement idea again. You know, we talked about um, the customer journey and ownership of, you know, um, uh, how many customers are pissed off and all that kind of stuff, and. Um, the the key thing there is to make sure that um, different part different people in the in the senior team in the in the CEO's direct reports are responsible for different moments in the journey. So you're 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 creating ownership and accountability across the organisation, as you say, not in not just you know the marketing guy is responsible for customers, so you know let him get on with it. We had you know we had the finance guy was responsible for the the pay moment you know when customers are putting their hands in their pocket to pay um you know the finance guy is responsible for that and even if that means that he's got to avoid bill shock he's got to think about value for money you know you're 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 giving each member of the senior team the rounded responsibility for an aspect of the customer's perception of you um and you know holding their feet to the fire making them accountable and really importantly i think the job from a customer experience point of view is to give the CEO the tools to be able to, to, to drive that, you know, to, to put the power in his hand so he can push the, you know, he can pull the right levers, push the right people. Um, uh, because, you know, so so you move beyond, as we said before, the, the kind of high level conversations about how we need to be, you know, to do better and all this kind of stuff. And it becomes much more about this familiar thing of, you know, driving my finance director to improve the customer's perception of paying the bill you know it's it's that kind of it's that kind of idea so it becomes um not uh, not a an isolated function but but something that is shared right the way across the top team it it, it needs involvement across the top team at, at an operational level fantastic thanks david um any other observations before we wrap up because i know we're, we're running out of time shortly any other questions burning questions you've got for david cox that we should deal with yes I liked the um, I like David's um, insistence on the most important thing is you know looking at customers who are dissatisfied. I think that in in, in real life, too many companies pat themselves on the shoulder. They think, oh, you know, we've got these people. They love us because of X, Y, Z. Let's do even more of that, and we'll attract more people. But actually, uh, you know, there's far more potential, presumably, to 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 attract people who are either dissatisfied or don't know about you, um, and of converting dissatisfied people to being satisfied because they will talk to talk about it beyond that so but I, i've not often seen companies which, which you know look at the at the feedback they receive and then you know if somebody's happy well that's fine they're happy but really focus on people who are pissed off i think that's very powerful <laughs> and, and i think you know it comes back it comes back to the point of this is is about taking action the point the, the whole purpose of this is to listen to what we're getting wrong and fix it you know that's 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 all that matters and you know as I say, you know, that's the first stage in the journey. And the first step in the journey is to clean your house up, is to, you know, is to is to really get, you know, to 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 listen to that. And it's a, it's a stage in the journey, both from 
a pure customer experience perspective, but also from a cultural perspective, because you're 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 teaching the organisation to to listen and act, listen and act, and you know rather than trying to control your customers, which is which is what most organisations start from. You know, how do we stop churn? How do we how do we make them spend more? You know, how do we how do we uh, manipulate our customers to get them to do what we want to do. And this is this is the opposite. This is listening and acting on what the customers want us to do. Fantastic. I think we should wrap it there. Uh, thanks very much, Dave. That's really interesting. Um, we'll see everyone else next week. Thanks very much for listening. We love hearing from you. If you've got any ideas, comments, or critiques, please just let us know via Twitter or uh, LinkedIn. Thanks also to Sarika for providing the music. See you soon.